so as it is common in Asia. Can you hear me okay? Yes, volume, okay. So as it is common in Asia, we'll start the talk by by reciting the homage to the Buddha. We'll do it in unison. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. What a nice practice. It just fills my heart with joy, actually. It just delighted me feeling this connection between this offering that I'm about to give and and the Buddha, the, the, the historical Buddha in time. So really paying homage to his teachings because without that man, we wouldn't be here today. So really feeling that connection and gratitude. So, so today is July 4th in this country known as Independence Day. And I think it's the perfect day for us to uh, contemplate interdependence. Because there is no such a thing really as complete independence when you start to really become clear and, and investigate that we are deeply, deeply interdependent our being here right now is dependent on so many causes and conditions that if we actually opened up to and started to contemplate it would be quite overwhelming quite overwhelming just just to incline our minds towards it, just the fact that you're here, sitting in this hall, listening. It's dependent on, well, this hall existing, this hall having been created 15 years ago. Previously I said 14, I wanted to correct my error, 15 years ago. It's dependent on everything that has gone into creating this, all the engineers, all the work, all the donations, everything. So that's one aspect of this structure. And, and again, you being here, the ability of you being here is dependent on so many things, so many causes and conditions, so many people who have supported you, either seen or unseen, the farmer who supported the food that you ate for lunch or this morning so that you can be here and not be passing out from hunger. The support that you've received in so many ways, so many ways until this moment. So really celebrating with gratitude 
the interdependence, the interdependence of all these causes and conditions that have made this more this moment possible. Some of us we like, some of them we didn't like that brought us to this moment. Perhaps lots of dukkha, lots of suffering has brought us here. Maybe even gratitude for that. Maybe even gratitude for that. That we've had the wisdom to, to actually use to make lemonade out of lemons and, and have the wisdom to to open up to practice from the dukkha instead of getting into self-destructive habits that many people get into. So really gratitude for all the causes and conditions and acknowledging our interdependence. In another way, I like to acknowledge the, the day, this, this 4th of July, is this idea of, of not just independence, but freedom. Freedom from what? You know, this word freedom we use a lot in, in Buddhism as a s- synonym for liberation, for nibbana. So, you know, when we use the word nibbana or 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 enlightenment, it can seem a little disorienting. Sometimes people have this idea of, wow, we light up like a Christmas light. Wow, enlightenment. Are you looking for that moment of enlightenment? Um, That's fine. We can have that image, that aspiration. It may not be that, that helpful, though. I much prefer the word freedom, awakening, liberation. And freedom, freedom from what? Freedom from what? A classic answer is from greed, hatred, and delusion from these roots that that hurt us, that hurt us and others. And in more lay terms, it's freedom from from things that hurt, that bother us, hurt us, scare us, um, so that. There is an ease in life. There is an ease. You'll never be afraid again from sadness. You'll never be afraid of fear. It doesn't control you. There's a sense of freedom. Difficulty. Various difficulties in life or various dukkhas in life don't control you, don't have the reins over you anymore. There's a sense of freedom and ease with everything, with all the conditions, just as they arise and pass away. Now that's freedom. Now that's a vision I love. And it's an it's a vision of of also everyday freedom. It's not waiting for that ta-ta, lighting up like a Christmas lights, like every day. Maybe you notice that a few years ago, something would really bother you when, let's say, you know, when somebody said something, I don't know, about whatever. Make your own example. Would really upset you and take you off. And now you realize... Actually, you have freedom with that. 
They can say whatever they want. It doesn't stick. It doesn't bother you. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt you anymore. You're unaffected. There is a sense of a resilience. There's an ease. There's a freedom from this external stimuli. And sometimes, you can, sometimes it could be something internal that maybe when, when you would get sick or when you had pain or when you, when you would get sad a long time ago, thoughts would come up, the second arrows in the mind would come up. Oh, this will never be over and there's something wrong with me and this is awful. And maybe now the same thing comes up, the same back pain comes up and it's like, okay, unpleasant, unpleasant, just sensation. So there's freedom, even though the same stimuli is still here, there's freedom in the midst of it. There is freedom, there is ease and that's awakening. Because your relationship to life has changed. The relationship to yourself has changed. You don't take yourself so seriously anymore. Still, it's quite useful to have a concept of self, a notion of self. We're not going to abandon that, but... It's a different way of relating to yourself, to the world, to whatever arises internally, whatever arises externally. So freedom, liberation, that's the why of practice. It's the why of practice. It's why we're here. It's not just to get calm, not just to get blissful, even though those things might happen. Great, spiritual goodies, they come, they go. But that's not the point, as you know already. The goal is much more beautiful than that. It's to become fully, fully human, fully, fully Buddha in a way, really embracing the Buddha within, letting it shine. So as Sayadaw Jagara on Monday presented um, the Kamitiya Sutta, what purpose from Anguttara Nikaya 10.1 from the Book of Tens, which you all have copies now. So what I love about that sutta is that the why of practice is in there. The why of practice is is laid out in all the steps and at the end, it's the liberation. It's knowledge and vision of liberation. Vimutti jnana dasana is what we're talking about, that freedom, is that change in your vision, in your perspective. It's knowing, it's this knowing and this knowledge, this jnana. And I also really appreciate the teaching that he's chosen, uh, he chose to share, because it also, it has the what of practice the why, what, and how, 
we'll get to the how, but the what of practice. So what do we practice? Okay, now we know, of course we already know, that's why we're here. We want to wake up, be free as humans, completely see, recognize, and acknowledge what it means to be both human and Buddha. And and Buddha was a human, so fully, completely, gloriously, in a most beautiful way, human. So recognizing our humanity, and I recog- and I use that word in its highest, most virtuous, most most beautiful term, to be fully human, really fully recognizing our capacity to completely love and be wise. That's what I mean by being fully human, that exploring that full potential. So, The sutta starts with the first line. That venerable sir, what is the purpose and benefit of wholesome virtuous behavior? Kusalani silani. Ananda, the purpose and benefit of wholesome virtuous behavior is non-regret, avipatisaro. So I'd like to speak a little bit, as, as we promised this morning, we're going to talk more extensively about different aspects of different teachings of this, of each uh, line of this sutta. So I'd like to talk a little bit about wholesome virtuous behavior, kusalani silani, which really is the basis, is numero uno, step number one, like is where you start, it's ground zero. Everyone got that? Wholesome virtuous behavior, that's where we're going to start. Sila, sila samadhi panya, if you remember, sila is first, sila is number one. But what's interesting here is that this sutta doesn't just start with sila, and that's something I appreciate about it. It's actually, it's not just virtuous behavior, it's not just sila, it's kusalani silani. Ah, kusala, wholesome behavior. It's both wholesome and virtuous. To me, that's a little more, and I want to unpack that the way I understand it. I think it's, it raises the bar a little bit. Um, and it's it's actually it's a little unpacked on its own. So so the kusalani part, it's the is the wholesome. So kusala in Pali is wholesome. A kusala. What whatever word you put a in front, it becomes negated. So a kusala is unwholesome. So kusala. So kusala. As Bhante mentioned, it's it's non-greed, 
non-hatred, non-delusion. Again, in Pali, if you'd say, if you take lob, loba, dosa, moha, and if you put a in front of them, it's not just their lack, but actually the word is much more, much stronger, much more profound. So, so aloba, non-greed, isn't just oh, non-greed. I don't, I don't have greed. We're good. We're good. Actually, aloba is is generosity of heart. It becomes non-clinging, non-attachment, forgiveness. It becomes really this this act of generosity, giving. You know, the heart that's that's giving. It's not clinging, not attaching to things. It's non-sticky, non-sticky heart. So it, it's a pretty profound statement, actually. Similarly with Adosa, it's not just non-hatred. It's actually friendliness. It's unconditional love. It's metta. It's goodwill towards ourselves and everyone. And similarly, Ah, moha is not just non-confusion, it's clarity, it's wisdom. The bar is set higher. So it's not just sila, which I'll talk about in a moment, the the virtuous behavior and restraint and non-harming, but it's also cultivating these beautiful, uh, intentionally, cultivating these beautiful factors of the mind. That's the basic. That's where we start. That's ground zero. So hold that thought. We'll come back to it in a moment. So I'd like to speak a little bit about sila, and I'll come back again to this kusala Kusalani group. So with Sila, it's interesting. I, um, I like to give credit first to some of the things I'm about to say. Uh, uh, they're inspired by Bhikkhu Bodhi article, Nourishing the Roots, which is really a lovely article on ethics. So he has a beautiful simile in there. He says, virtue, virtue, you can think of virtue as the roots because it's virtue that gives you grounding for your spiritual uh, endeavor. Just the same way that roots give grounding to a tree. So you need the roots. You need virtue to be grounded the same way that the tree is grounded. And then he says, concentration would be the trunk of the tree, the way that the symbol of strength, non-vacillation, and stability, the same way that in a tree, it's really, you see the trunk of the tree, it's strong, it's stable, concentration the same way, for you, in your practice, gives you that stability of mind. And then wisdom would be the branches, which yield the flowers of awakening and the fruits of deliverance. And I love that because when you have the roots, you have your sila, you're grounded. And then there's the stability of, of concentration. And then, of course, wisdom. Wisdom will, will be the fruit, will be the branches, will be the tree, of the tree. 
I love that simile. Really put, putting sila first. So a couple of things. One is that, you know, in, the, in this tradition, in, in Buddhism, um, you don't have to wait until your sila is perfect, um, until you start meditating, right? You all know that, right? It doesn't work that way. So we start meditating, we start stabilizing, we start cultivating all these other things while we continue to work on our sila, to continue to deepen the roots of this tree. And there are two dimensions to, to sila. One is the external dimension, is the outward acts of non-transgression of, of speech and body. That's the external aspect of sila, when you don't transgress, when you don't steal and lie and physically in the world through your actions, your words and your actions, you don't cause harm. That's the external dimension. That's half of it. Just as importantly, there is the internal dimension of sila. The, in, the inner purification of character is the motivational side of action from which your action springs. So it's really the inner world. It's the inner motivation of wanting to, to not cause harm to yourself and others. And when I learned this, this, this way of holding it, it, it makes sense because it's not, sila is not just external or just internal. It's both internal and external. And they both affect each other. It's quite profound. So the same way that, it, so, so external sila, you know, we usually think of sila just as effects out in the world. You know, don't cause harm, don't steal, don't lie, um, don't kill, etc. Don't engage in sexual misconduct, heedlessness. But what's actually really interesting is that a lot of times when, we, when you engage in the external, when you have the scaffolding, you have the external scaffolding of sila, then that can support internal sila. Your, your internal motivation, what you have appetite for, starts changing. You start changing, the internal dimension starts changing. So the same way that if you, if you don't engage in the behavior for a while, Let's, let's say if you stop eating sugar, sugary things, if you stop eating sugar for a while, have you noticed you lose your taste for it? You just use, lose your taste for it. There's no desire for it anymore. So basically the external change in behavior has changed the internal motivation. Your mind kind of recoils. The same way externally, after a while, say, if you used to say swear words, for example, if you decide you're just not going to do that for a while, you're just not going to do it. And if you don't do it for a long time, it's the external sila. And then internally, after a while, it's like, 
uh, you just don't want to say it. It's like, oh, it doesn't quite feel right. The internal dimension has changed. So similarly, of course, the internal dimension of sila affects the external dimension of sila. The internal dimension being the motivation, that internal purity of not intending to cause harm to yourself or to others. Not wanting to lie. It just, it just doesn't feel good. It just feels icky. And therefore not doing it, not doing it externally. So being aware of the internal, external, and how powerful the two are together in, in creating these roots, these beautiful roots in our practice, giving us grounding in this spiritual endeavor. I love that. And, you know, it's already, it's of course clear, but, but it's worth mentioning that um, the, the development, cultivation of virtue, these, these roots continue to go deeper and deeper and overnight we cannot grow very deep roots just by the force of our volition and decision. I'm going to be completely ethical in every single way starting tomorrow. It doesn't work that way, and we know that. So really being gentle and realizing that it's, it's over time, that, that all the habits of the mind we work on over time, over time, over time. And yet recognizing the internal and the external, that how they support each other. And Bhikkhu Bodhi says that actually it starts with the internal, and I agree, because you start with the intentionality of wanting to, to, to act ethically and then um, change, you know, for example, stop using curse words or whatever might be in your, care, in your case, the external. So, so now I want to bring back the bookmark I left about the kusala. So I want to bring back now and relate it. So what I've talked about so far with sila in this way is, is not doing transgressions, right? But now we can go a step further. And the step further is replacing replacing what would be a transgression or what would be a kusala with kusala. So, for example, let's say um, you find yourself really angry at someone, really upset, 
and it's really easy to to have unwise speech and just really give it to them, right? Shout at them harsh speech, unkind speech, you know, violating all the all the right speech rules. So in that moment, the restraint would be not doing that, not doing that. Now going one step further would be replacing that, replacing that unwholesome behavior with something wholesome. So instead, how about doing metta for them? It's replacing the akusala with kusala. It's that replacement, it's, it's the substitution. Because these incompatible mental qualities cannot simultaneously be present in a single moment. They cannot be. So by actually replacing, by doing something wholesome in that moment, um, you're not just cutting the root or helping to cut the root little by little of the unwholesome, but planting wholesome seeds at the same time. It's actually quite brilliant. It's like an Aikido move. You're doing two things at the same time. Not just restraining, but cultivating the wholesome, the positive. So that's what I really appreciate about this teaching, which is Kusalani Silani. It's it's both. It's it's both, both Sila and Kusala at the same time. It's setting the bar higher. In fact, it reminds me, um, there is a long list of, um, um, trying to remember, was it 21? There, there are a long number of items of, if you're angry at someone, how to deal with it. And this is from Visuddhimagga, The Path of Purification. And I've taught that once. It's actually quite fun, uh, the ways you can deal with anger. Um, and the last item on the list, which I love, is give that person a gift. The person you're angry with, give them a gift. And it's quite beautiful. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but I have. And it's amazing because it opens your heart. You cannot give a gift, which is a gift that's given with generosity. Your goodwill just comes with it. It opens your heart to them. Ah, and anger gets abated. So, so it's this Aikido move. Not only are you not doing something akusala, something evil and bad, but but you're 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 planting the seed of goodwill, of kindness, of adosa, of love. Isn't that pretty cool? I think so. So the sutta it as I read, Bhante, what is the purpose and benefit of wholesome virtuous behavior, Kusalani Silani? Ananda, the purpose and benefit of wholesome virtuous behavior is non regret. Avipatisara. So let's, let's sit with that for a moment. 
and see if that makes sense to us. And just feel into it. You know, in, in many ways, the Dharma is just the natural law. You just have to look into your own experience as a human being. And you're like, yep, yep, that's right. That makes sense, totally. If you think of a time that you had restraint, you had, you had moral restraint, and engaged in virtuous behavior, wholesome virtuous behavior. You didn't regret it afterwards, right? Oh, I wish I had been really nasty and mean. It usually doesn't happen. I don't think so. So you can really look into your own experience to verify that. That's trust. That's verifying. That's verified faith in the practice. So that gives you confidence for engaging in that further engaging in that further. So avipatisaro, the opposite of regret. And of course, with the conditionality here, the way it's set up, just to be clear, I think it's pretty clear, but just to be clear, it doesn't mean, of course, it logically, it does not mean that all regret is result of unvirtuous behavior. Of course, it does not mean that. X, therefore Y, does not mean if there is no Y, therefore it wasn't X. That logically does not make sense. So, and also, it does not mean that that unvirtuous behavior for all people all the time clearly causes them uh, regret. Because for some people, I think that if their conscience is very cloudy, clearly regret may not show up. However, from what I've read and, and experienced, is, you know, with non-virtuous behavior, something is usually off in the conscience, consciousness, and in the in one's conscience, um, it just one. It usually shows up for people in in not being able to sleep well at night. You know, even people who've done a lot. You know, we consider them having engaged in a lot of unvirtuous behavior, and they're still fine, and they're going about their life. But it's kind of under the hood. There's not a lot of peace. There's not a lot of ease. Even if they may not express regret, there's not a lot of peace and ease internally, and they try to numb it in other ways. So, so, but just to say those, this teaching does not mean any of those, and, but um, basically when, when there is clarity in the mind, virtuous, wholesome behavior tends to lead, is a condition for Non-regret. Non-regret. And non-regret, the sutta continues, the non-regret, and what, Bhante, is the purpose and benefit of non-regret? The purpose and benefit of non-regret is joy, pamojam. I wanted to talk a little more about joy. 
actually pamojam. And, and I prefer the translation gladness, I have to say. I, I like to reserve joy for piti, which is also translated as rapture. But, but gladness, pamoja, a sense of gladness. It's like all is right with the world. And again, I invite you to not just listen, but, uh, but, but in this moment, look into your own experience. When there is a sense of non-regret, when you've done, when, when there's been restraint in your behavior, there's been wholesome virtuous action, there's not just non-regret, but also naturally what arises is a sense of, ah, gladness. That, that feels good. It kind of feels good. Like, all, all is right with the world. It's just there's a sense of goodness, gladness. It's very simple. It's not huge. Again, don't look for Christmas trees, but just, you know, lit up Christmas trees, but just the sense of gladness. Sense of gladness. One experience that I had with this recently, and this just came up for me, is um, my mother passed away at the end of February, just a few months ago. And the last month of her life, I had the privilege to take care of her 24 hours a day, be with her as she was getting weaker and weaker and 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 leaving this world and as as difficult as physically that experience was to be with her and take care of her and she was bedbound at the time there is this sense of gladness this sense of non-regret i am so glad I'm so glad I could be with her the last month of her life. I'm so glad I could take care of her. I could be with her. I could be by her bedside. I could hold her hand, look into her eyes. There is no regret. There is non-regret. And there is gladness. I am so glad. I miss her, I'm sad, and there is a gladness. And this gladness, this pamoja, it shows up in many different places in the suttas. Another one I wanted to share with you is actually Upanisa Sutta which shares the teachings of liberative dependent arising, which is actually quite related to the teaching we're sharing on this retreat. So I definitely wanted to bring that in. So in that, so in this teaching that, that uh, we're sharing here, the, um, the Kima Tia Sutta, it starts with wholesome virtuous behavior, Kusalani, Silani, going through non-regret, joy, pamoja, 
rapture, pity, tranquility, pasadi, pleasure, sukha, concentration, samadhi, knowledge and vision of things as they are, yata, bhuta, jnana, dasana, disenchantment and dispassion, nibida, virago, to the end, knowledge and vision of liberation, vimuti, jnana, dasana. And liberative dependent arising has, it starts with suffering. Actually, I'll go through it quickly and I'll highlight a couple of things so that you see the difference. Suffering, from suffering, confidence arises. Confidence or faith, sada, arises. From that, pamoja arises. From that, piti arises. From that, tranquility, pasadi arises. From that, happiness, er, uh, sukha arises. From that, um, um, from that, concentration, samadhi arises. From that, seeing things as they are arises. From that, disenchantment. From that, dispassion. From that, liberation. And from that, knowledge of liberation. You, s- you hear the same structure in the sutta? So they both so they both end in knowledge and vision of liberation, but they start start sl- uh, slightly from different places. One starts with with um, with moral and virtuous behavior, and the other one starts from suffering. So let me say a little wor- a little more about the first couple of steps there. So suffering dukkha. So. In that teaching, in that practice, by seeing the dukkha, by actually, and, and there are different types of dukkha. There is dukkha that, there's suffering that leads to the end of suffering, and there's suffering that's just pure suffering. And you've probably experienced both, and you know the difference. There's sometimes that you're just in the whirlpool, there's just more and more suffering. But sometimes you see the suffering and you get perspective and your heart opens to compassion, your, your mind opens to wisdom. It's actually, wow, you grow through it. It's, it's suffering that when light comes in, when light comes in, that suffering is actually brings in confidence, brings in sada, brings in trust in the practice. Yeah, this works. There is an end to the suffering. So the link is suffering to sada, confidence, trust, different translations. And from there, that sada, that confidence, like, yeah, this works. Yeah, I can do this. Sense of trust, sada, faith. That leads to pamoja. That leads to delight or gladness. Then that leads to joy piti, tranquility, etc. So Pamoja shows up there too, this, this delight, this gladness that arises from this sense of confidence. And again, I invite you to look into your own practice, the moments that you've had you know, an insight with either capital I or small I, there's been a breakthrough in having a different perspective in your, in your suffering. It, you're not caught in it anymore. You have perspective on it. There is confidence. Okay, this was hard. And I see more clearly. I see more clearly. I see more clearly the patterns of my mind. 
I see this. I see how I was caught. Oh, I see this. There's confidence. And then there's gladness. Yay. Yay me. Yay. There is, there is that, that um, sense of delight. So after pamoja, there is piti that leads to piti, and we'll save that for next the next talk, so that you'll be on the edge of your seat. Like, how is that going to lead to piti? You got to come back. So what I'd like to turn my attention to now, we'll go through the list as, as we mentioned all these items and talk about them more. So another thing I'd like to bring in is, as I mentioned, there is the why of practice. Why are we practicing? And I think it's so helpful to always keep the North Star in mind. Keep the North Star in your mind's eye in the periphery, especially when going gets tough, when there's dukkha and more dukkha. Just keep keep the North Star, the why. And then the what. We talked about the what of, of starting with these roots of virtuous behavior, of replacing loba dosa moha with aloba Amoha adosa, replacing con- the wholesome behavior, uh, sila and kusala. So now I want to, to talk a little bit, touch to what I like to call the how of practice. So the how of practice. How do we do this? How do we do this stuff? It's actually quite easy. You already know how to do it. Mindfully, of course. You simply pay attention. You simply pay attention. You simply pay attention. And the mindfulness can be either peripheral, as Bonte laid out. It can be peripheral, Gentle, soft, aware of your sense doors, protecting your home, your mind, your heart. Could also be specific, my specific mindfulness when the attention is directed towards an object, which can increase and cultivate more stability, more concentration. And when there is more peripheral and specific mindfulness, it leads to the third type of mindfulness, which is the mindfulness that leads to insight of clear seeing. And you can't make the third one happen. It just kind of arises on its own, as you know, as the mind gets calmer and calmer and more stable, you start to see more clearly. And it happens naturally. So with this practice, the how of practice is 
engage in mindfulness as continuously as you can throughout the day, throughout your time here, either peripherally or specifically, just engaging in mindfulness, continuity, continuity, continuity. And the cultivation, you know, as wisdom arises, as you are mindful, whenever you're mindful, that is the precondition for wisdom to arise, for that substitution of akusala with kusala to happen, the substitution of unwholesome with wholesome. If you're mindful, you'll see many opportunities to do that. If you're not mindful, you're just like, yeah, all the, you know, preconditions of the mind are just acting themselves out without any clarity. And another thing to actually have trust in is that this practice, all these steps that we have laid out in the sutta, they actually flow naturally one into the other. You can't just sit here and say, okay, where's the joy? Where is the, you know, I want some joy now or some tranquility, some pasadi or seeing things as they are. They naturally, one leads to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's actually quite beautiful. I, I like to share um, from the Upanisa Sutta, there is a um, paragraph there I'd like to share with you. Upanisa Sutta was the one that starts with suffering and ends with liberation. So the paragraph there is, just as practitioners, when rain descends heavily upon some mountaintop, the water flows down along with the slope and fills the clefts, gullies, and creeks. These being filled, fill up the pools. These being filled, fill up the ponds. These being filled, fill up the streams. These being filled, fill up the rivers. And the rivers being filled, fill up the great ocean. Do you get the sense of the naturalness of the water just flowing down? There's nothing that needs to be done. It's natural. It will flow down. You set the conditions in place and the various stages will naturally come up. And that is beautifully highlighted in Chaitanya Sutta, translated as an act of will. This is a beautiful sutta. So here, it, this sutta also starts with virtue, with sila, and it ends in awakening. Same destination of the other all the other suttas. So here we go. It's beautiful. Let this wash over you. For a person endowed with, with virtue, consummate in virtue, there is no need for an act of will. May freedom from remorse arise in me. It is in the nature of things that freedom from remorse arises in a person endowed with virtue, consummate in virtue. Did you get this? Isn't that lovely? So there's no act of will when, when virtue, when sila, when these roots, when virtuous behavior, when that's enacted, 
You don't have to say, okay, now let me feel non-regret, non-remorse. It naturally arises. And this sutta continues. For a person free from remorse, there is no need for an act of will. May joy arise in me. Or may delight or gladness arise in me. This is Pamoja again here in the sutta. It is the nature of things that Pamoja delight arises in a person free from remorse. Of course, it's natural. It happens on its own. For a delighted, glad person with Pamoja, there is no need for an act of will. May rapture, pity arise in me. It is the nature of things that rapture arises in a joyful, in a glad person. For a rapturous person, there is no need for an act of will. May my body be serene, have tranquility. It is in the nature of things that a rapturous person, person who has pity, has pity arisen in them, grows serene, will have pasadi, tranquility in their body. For a person serene in the body with pasadi, there is no need for an act of will. May I experience pleasure, sukha. It is in the nature of things that a person serene in the body experiences pleasure, sukha. For a person experiencing pleasure, sukha, there is no need for an act of will. May my mind grow concentrated, have samatha, state of samadhi. It is in the nature of things that the mind of a person experiencing pleasure, sukha, grows concentrated. For a person whose mind is concentrated, there is no need for an act of will. May I know and see things as they actually are. It is the nature of things that a person whose mind is concentrated knows and sees things as they actually are. Isn't that good news? Isn't that lovely? Just it unfolds on its own naturally. It continues. For a person who knows and sees things as they actually are, there is no need for an act of will. May I feel disenchantment, disenthrallment. It is in the nature of things that a person who knows and sees things as they are, as they actually are, feels disenthralled. For a person who feels disenthralled, disenchanted, there is no need for an act of will. May I grow dispassionate. It is in the nature of things that a person who feels disenchantment grows dispassionate. And at last, for a dispassionate person, there is no need for an act of will. May I realize the knowledge and vision of release, of freedom. It is the nature of things that a dispassionate person realizes the knowledge and vision of release. And that's the end of the sutta. And that's the end of my talk. So we set the conditions in place, starting with virtue, and things will just unfold. No need for an act of will. Bonte, would you like to add anything? Okay, all right. Then we'll just sit in silence for a minute or two together.
Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.